Season three of Black Belt Voices is brought to you by Southern Bancor. Southern Bancor is one of America's oldest and largest community development financial institutions. Founded to provide underserved communities with access to capital and the wealth building tools needed to grow. On the web at banksouthern.com and southernpartners.org. listening to the Black Blood Voices podcast, where we tell stories from and about Black folks down South. These stories honor our history. You know, they didn't have any problem enslaving children their age. So why would you have any problem teaching children that slavery existed and what slavery was really like? Celebrate our culture. Black Southerners are just like none other. I mean, we are just seasoned to perfection, honey. And shape our future. Voting is a form of currency. You have to use it. But whatever part you know, like you owe it to your family, you owe it to your kids, you owe it to yourself to be able to share that story. It, it has value. It has power. You know, so often many African-Americans, because we can't trace our heritage and our ancestry all the way back, um, we oftentimes feel like it's not valid. And so it is. Hi, I'm Kara Wilkins. And I'm Adina White. So it's Key, well, Keontae Fletcher, but I go by Key. We're continuing the series on preserving our history with a spotlight on the Mosaic Templars Cultural Center in Little Rock, and we're joined in conversation with Keith Fletcher, the center's director. Mosaic Templars is a part of the Department of Arkansas Heritage, which is a division of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism. Adina, uh, you know, here in Arkansas, we call the Department of Arkansas Heritage DA. So what's your favorite DA museum? You know, I guess, <laughs> I guess I would say mosaic, not just for this interview, but um, I didn't really go. I went there, um, you know, to look around. I went to the hair exhibit they had. But before that, when I really started making it a point to go was when I had my son and they always have the Black Santa every year. So you go, uh, you can go there, and you know, you're going to see Black Santa. Yes. And it is hard to find a Black Santa nowadays. <laughs> I will say uh, I did a brief stint at the Museum of Arkansas Heritage, which is mm. downtown Little Rock. And it has like the really old houses that people who first came here, settled here, lived in. But I say all that to say, sometimes I think the Mosaic Templars Museum is often overlooked and it's one of the stronger museums in the DA department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, if you're not familiar, Mosaic Templars is dedicated to the storytelling of the African-American experience in Arkansas. And the name is interesting. It comes from Mosaic Templars of America, which is a Black fraternal organization founded in Little Rock in 1883. And that organization was forced out of business during the Great Depression. In 2005, the original building was destroyed by fire. But thanks to a lot of hard work, it has actually been uh, refurbished and it is now a 35,000 square foot facility 
And it is a state-of-the-art museum with exhibits. It has a new children's exhibit that just opened. It's classrooms, staff offices. And on the second floor, it has a 400-seat auditorium, as well as is the home of the permanent Arkansas Black Hall of Fame exhibit. Yes, there's so much great history in there. And, and the space for events is fabulous. Um, I've been to a couple of events there. It, it's just a great place. And uh, Keith Fletcher, she is she is the museum. I mean, she's been there for the past 14 years. She's a transplant to Arkansas from Louisiana by way of Hurricane Katrina. It's funny. I, I Sometimes I say Katrina. And for some people, they don't have a point of reference. And they're like, who is that? I'm like, no, Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> when Hurricane Katrina happened, which is now 20 years ago, um, I was actually in college, and so, um, of course, you know, people were displaced, and so my mom and my stepdad came to Arkansas, and my mom loved it. I was like, mm, like, you are New Orleans, like, born and bred, like, you like Blava, Arkansas? She was like, yeah, baby, I can get to the post office and the grocery store in, like, two minutes. <laughs> so she she made it her home, and so once I finished school, um, I started looking around and trying to figure out, um, and it's it's so interesting, you know, I always thought, you know, that my story would be one of, the one that I would tell my kids would be of traditional Louisiana, traditional New Orleans, you know, like the food, the culture, you know, Mardi Gras and Creole culture and just all those things, and it's, it's not that, um, you know, so we moved to Arkansas, and um, I made Little Rock my home. I, I actually got a job at Central High National Historic Site. I was working for the National Park Service in Louisiana um, before that, and um, I was able to transfer here to Little Rock, which was, you know, close enough to Blyville. It was about two and a half hours. And so, um, yeah, I made Arkansas my home because I wanted to be close to my mom. At that time, my family was all over, um, and so naturally I wanted to be close to my mom. She um, is has always been probably the most important person in my life. And so I just wanted to keep that connection um, really close. And so um, I'm very grateful that, you know, we, I did end up getting a job with Central High National Historic Site. I'll never forget when I got the job, it was my dream job at the time. You know, I thought it was really cool to be able to tell the story of the Little Rock Nine. And so when I got it, I just like mouth open, floored, um, an amazing opportunity. So yeah, that's how I actually ended up um, here in Arkansas by way of Hurricane Katrina, and I've been here ever since. Key has such an interesting backstory, but it's not too uncommon because so many people made Arkansas their home after Katrina. I just met Key recently, and I have just been floored with her wealth of knowledge and expertise that she brings to the museum. We have really been waiting on someone like her to help lead the Mosaic Templars to tell the story in an exciting way. Yes, and, and Key, for Key, storytelling has always been part of her plan. Uh, she wanted to be a journalist when she was younger, but she found, she found out that news wasn't quite the right fit for her. Um, when I was like really little, I always wanted to be a journalist. Like that was the thing. Like I'm be I'm 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 be a journalist. Really, it's because my best friend here said she was gonna be a journalist. So I was like, that sounds good. I'm just piggyback <laughs> off of her. I started doing a lot of writing. Um, I did a lot of poetry. I did a lot of speech in school, and it just it really kind of it kind of grew into a thing to to me and for me so much so that like everybody that knew me knew that when I finished high school that I was gonna be a journalist. 
until I went to college. <laughs> and I did an internship. Um, and I was like, this is not what's up. <laughs> it was a lot. Of, it was not what I expected. You know, as a kid, you see the glitz and the glam and all that stuff. And um, I can remember doing my internship at home in New Orleans. And, you know, it was a lot of, you know, crime and murder. And, um, you know, I, I remember thinking, wow, you know, this is no shade to anybody who does journalism. I think it's a, an admirable job. Um, I remember thinking, God, I want to do something where I feel like I have a little bit more of a, um, where it means a little bit more to me. Um, it, it just took a lot out of me every day to do that. And so um, I went back to um, North Louisiana and I started, um, <laughs> I had a temp job and uh, I worked two days and I quit. <laughs> it was temp temp. It was temp temp. But you know what? It worked out for her because she actually got a job at a national park. And it's crazy because the woman who was a complete stranger who offered her the job, she did so because of Key's consistency and her personality that she showed in the gym every morning. Oh, okay. Well, I will keep that in mind because I'm sure no one will offer me a job based <laughs> off of my gym expertise. But let that be a lesson to all of us. You never know who's watching you. And people say, people don't watch you at the gym. They're just doing their own thing. Like, uh-uh, they're watching. They're, they're definitely watching. <laughs> and the crazy thing about it is the position that she actually had open, um, while it, it, it was a park ranger, but specifically I did like, you know, PR and journalism and writing, like all the things that I had experience in. Um, plus I got to uncover um, Cane River and the beautiful scenery of like North Louisiana, um, and I really, it was at that time that I feel like I found my calling, um, which was um, folk life and Southern culture. Every day I would walk the grounds of, you know, these acres and acres and, you know, think about um, what it must have been like for, you know, my ancestors who had been enslaved to be, to walk this same ground, to to walk this same land. And I would uh, open up, open up the buildings, um, and I would look across, and I would see, you know, the river on the other side, um, and I would sit um, at the store um, uh, that was owned um, by the family. At this time, of course, it's not as a part of the National Park Service, but to be able to be like surrounded by um, such history, um, it really I, I fell in love with the story. A really complex story, um, but it made me kind of um, appreciate the value and the importance of storytelling, um, um, of having uh, and of knowing it matters like who tells the story, um, how the story is told, um, and the fact that um, there's still a lot of history that we don't know, um, even though the National Park Service owned these plantations. Uh, there was a lot of information that was left out about the enslaved people. And, you know, most of us know it's because, you know, enslaved people were considered property. And so um, it really became, became a journey for me to, um, to really embrace uh, Southern, African-American Southern culture and to learn as, as much as I could about it. Key loved that work and she loved meeting new people. She often encouraged visitors to realize the importance of preserving our history and to learn the value of the voices of our ancestors, even if we can't trace it back very far. And we owe it to them to share what we do know, to continuously share it, and to be able to, to piece it together. 
um, to give uh, substance and, and to give value to it. You know, oftentimes we feel like, oh, well, we don't know the whole story, so it doesn't matter. You know, oh, I don't, you know, I don't know where my ancestors came from all the way back to Africa. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, share your grandmother's story. Share your great-grandmother's story. Maybe you don't know where she's from in North Carolina. Maybe you don't know exactly where she's from in Mississippi. But whatever part you know, like you owe it to your family, you owe it to your kids, you owe it to yourself to be able to share that story. It, it has value. It has power. You know, so often many African-Americans, because we can't trace our heritage and our ancestry all the way back, um, we oftentimes feel like it's not valid. And so it is. And so whatever I could share from the enslaved people um, who lived on those plantations, um, who created and established American culture, um, I always wanted to share as much as I could. So that's how she got her start in the Park Service. And she continued that experience at the Central High Museum. And if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that I graduated from the Little Rock Central High School, (laughs) to which there is a, a Department of Parks Museum that is right across the street from it. And so she stayed there a year before she actually went to Mosaic Templars Cultural Center. She started 14 years ago as an education director, was promoted to assistant director, and this year became the director. Speaking of the museum at Central High, it's a fabulous space too. So if you haven't been there, go there too. Um, So back to Mosaic, um, it's pretty young as far as museums go. In 2018, the staff started an ambitious goal of earning accreditation by the American Alliance of Museums. It involved a lot. There were lofty fundraising goals. They had to demonstrate that they had adequate staffing. They had to show accountability in their curation. They had to have an interpretive plan for the future. They had to prove that there's buy-in from the community. And that's just naming a few. It was tedious. They completed that goal in April 2020, becoming the third Black history institution in the South to be accredited by the American Alliance of Museums. The other two are the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, and the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute in Alabama. Only about 1% of museums in the country are nationally accredited. It's a really big deal. And so it's been really interesting to kind of, you know, grow with it, uh, for it to be my baby and to see the changes, to see how people have began to accept it, um, to see how the state uh, has embraced it, um, to see um, the ways in which the spaces that we designed and the stories that we told, how we intended them to be told and to be used in the spaces and and how they're actually being used is really interesting to kind of see things kind of come full circle. I know that there are amazing, amazing, amazing museums out there that are are especially African-American museums that are doing the same work that we're doing. Um, but the, the time that it takes, a lot of, I mean, we are, we are fortunate to have the amount of staff that we have in terms of for the, the size of the museum that we have. But there's some out there, African-American museums, they may only have a few people. And so the resources that it takes to put behind um, gaining accreditation is, is quite a bit of time. It takes a time commitment. I mean, it took years for us to go through the accreditation process. It's our job, I feel like, to always make sure that people recognize that oftentimes we are not the first ones. Um, but if you are the first ones, you was commonly say, make sure you're not the last, right? right? Um, but yeah, I know that we're not the only ones that are doing this amazing work. So while we're, there's only three in the South, I know there's, I could go on and on about other amazing museums that we have, African-American museums that are telling stories as well. One of the things that is great about the museum 
is how you get to be a part of the experience. It's very interactive. Yes, it's very cool. And, and as you mentioned earlier, that new children's center is so great. As a former education director, Key wanted to make sure there were hands-on things for young children to do as well. I would always, you know, tell people like, I would see parents come in with their kids and, you know, typical museum, you know, you, oh, kids can't touch, can't touch, can't touch. Or kids just felt like they were not connected to the space. And so we decided that we were going to have a children's gallery because I always wanted to have a children's gallery. <laughs> and so that's one of the things that is included in our new space. And it is absolutely amazing. That's actually part of the name. It's called Same, Different, Amazing. And so it's a space that parents and kids can go into and kids can see that we're not all the same. And that is absolutely the way that it should be. Right. None of us are created the same, Um, whether that may be, you know, we look different in terms of color or maybe we we're different in terms of our religion. We're different in terms of, you know, our parents, uh, where we live. I mean, this, you know, some kids are differently able I mean, there are tons of ways that we are different and they are all okay, right? We're not shying away from that. Um, And the fact that the fact that we are different is what makes us amazing. It's neat to see how her love for storytelling has taken this form. She's still doing the work, but in a way that's meaningful to her. I love that. Me too. And as as people who tell stories, it's neat to see how people tell stories in different ways, you know, from a podcast to a an accredited museum. I mean, we all have our own ways of sharing stories. And she's passionate about making sure that our, our ancestors aren't all painted with the same brush. Um, not everyone was a sharecropper, and they certainly weren't passive. You know, our museum sits in the middle of what was the Black Mecca for Little Rock. Millions of dollars of wealth was, it was, it was in this area. And we see that that happened across the South, across the United States. You know, we have Pine Bluff, I mean, Arkansas, but you have, you know, your Tulsa's, you have Harlem, you have Black communities across the United States that were absolutely not just there, they were thriving. Um, They were extremely successful African-Americans all across our country. Um, So just because you don't see it now, you deliberately, intentionally don't see it now. But it's not because it didn't exist. Um, And so, so, yeah, it's our job to for sure um, to shine a light, to shine a light on that um, and to make sure that we don't forget and that we make sure that people know that those stories have deliberately been erased and that our ancestors were not passive people. And they were ones of great culture, um, a great, great achievement, great success, and that they were geniuses. He has a 10-year-old daughter who is getting this message, too. Yes. Her grandmother and her great-grandmother were sharecroppers, but they were so much more. When I talk to my daughter about um, Black history, you know, I'm always telling her how, not only how she's genius and brilliant, Mm -hmm. but how our ancestors were genius and brilliant. You know, when I talk about, like, my grandmother and my great-grandmother being sharecroppers, I talk to her about how amazing they were at math how smart they were, you know, how um, they were able to take a little bit and how they were able to make a lot. You know, I talked to her about, you know, how they were leaders. I talked to her about how they were business owners. And so um, I always make sure that the story I tell about our ancestors are not told in a, in a passive light, um, are not told in a light of um, less than, 
um, because I, you know, I understand and recognize that our, our ancestors shaped and created this country. And there's no way that you can be passive about that. Um, there's no way that um, the story of, of America can be told as the greatest country in the world um, with passive people who, who built it. And so I always make sure that when I talk to my daughter about our story and about our people, um, that I uplift our ancestors. You know, oftentimes our kids see these other images and these other ideas, you know, but I want her to know that our, our ancestry is one to for sure be proud of. And so that's, again, that's the story that we seek to tell here in the museum as well. Yes, there has been, you know, despair and, you know, yes, there has been sacrifice and struggle, um, but also we have a history to be proud of. We have a history uh, to celebrate. We have a history that is is amazing and full of achievement. And that's so true. Like, there's a lot of struggle, of course, in Black history, but we know that there's so much to be, there's so much achievement too. And, and even we can be proud of the struggle itself. Um, and I'm so glad that there's museums that are telling this story. And so we can see beyond just what we're, what we, what little we learn in history books. The museum has taken this to a whole new level. Um, Mosaic Templar is in, is in the middle of a $1.3 million renovation project. And they're looking for funds to help them move forward with phase two of the renovations. In addition to helping them move forward financially, you can honestly help by just going to see the space. It's world-class, it's nationally accredited, and it is free to boot. And that is big because most museums charge some sort of fee for you to come in, but you can enjoy the Mosaic Templars completely for free. So why not? And if you're traveling through Arkansas or if you live in Arkansas, we've included a link to their site in the show notes so you can be sure to drop by. Yes. So really, that's all we have. Um about Mosaic before we get into our call and response. And a note to you listeners, there are some emergency vehicles in the background of this call and response segment, but she has some good answers. You can just, everything's fine. You know, if you're driving, don't get scared. You know, it's just us. So anyway, enjoy. So now we're going to get into our call and response questions. Okay. These are just um, questions about being Black and Southern. Ooh! <laughs> right up your alley. <laughs> I know you love Southern folk. What says um, folk life, Southern culture? Folk life, yes. Yeah. Okay. So number one, what does being Black and Southern mean to you? Oh my gosh. So being Black and Southern, I also associate that with being Black and Southern and like Louisianian. Mm-hmm. So um, I equate that with like the second line and gumbo and red beans and rice and. Really, you know, all, all the beautiful things that make up the South. You know, I saw this and I said, this is like every, to me, everything that's good about being in the South comes from being black. Like I always tell people that I probably would never want to leave the South because I just, I love it so much. So when I think about uh, Southern culture, um, I equate that with my Southern Louisiana culture. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I think about the people, I think about the food, I think about the music, I think about you know, my ancestors, I just, you know, like all those things just kind of play out in my head. It's like this, this gumbo of, um, of all the unique blends of, of Louisiana for me, even though I've been in Arkansas, you know, for quite a while. Um, for me, I define, you know, being Southern by being a Louisianian. Um, mm-hmm. It is the sweetest flavor to me of the South. There's nothing like 
Louisiana people, we've got this sweet kind of sultry, spicy thing going on that, um, you know, we are for sure charmers, but you know. <laughs> Same time, we got a little cayenne pepper hot sauce, too, so. <laughs> I love that. And I love how you used the word gumbo. <laughs> Everything in there. Right. That's awesome. Um, so what do you wish more people knew or understood about the South? I think I think I wish more people knew about the resources. Um, and I don't just mean now. I, I, the foundation of our country uh, was built on the South. Mm-hmm. And I often think that... Um, people overlook that and I think that people look at the south you know as maybe a place to visit or a lot of people have left you know we've seen the great migration Mm -hmm. to other places Um, but I wish that there was that people really understood how the south helped to build and create our country and so, um, even being from Louisiana, I mean, there's a, you talk about resources, oh my gosh. Um, but a lot of those resources are not being put back into the South. A lot of those resources are not being put back in, into the Delta. Um, and so, um, yeah, I wish more people, you know, knew, you know, the rice, the oil, the, the river, all the resources that come through, and I could go on and on, but I wish people knew um, how important the South was and still is, um, and that more people would give back and 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 um, put back, give back to the South, and make sure that the South continues to thrive. So, yeah, I wish people, more people knew about the resources and how the South has built our country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you love most about living in the South? If you could pick one thing. Probably the weather, mm-hmm. probably the weather, because, you know, in Arkansas, it's kind of, it, you know, in the South, it's, it's hot and it's, it's, it's muggy sometimes, but like, I don't like being cold. I don't either. Like, you're wearing I, a blanket right now. I know, right? Like, <laughs> I don't like being cold. I love the fact that, um, it could be Christmas in like 80 degrees. Like I really, um, enjoy the, the climate. Um, so that's probably one of the things, um, I also like about the South is um, I like being near the water, even though here in Arkansas we're not as much, but in Louisiana I can appreciate, I'll enjoy being near the water mm-hmm. and all the resources that you get being near the, near the water, but it's not cold. So like here in Arkansas, right. there's the river, so there are a lot of things that we can do on the water. You know, there's a lot of boating, you know, there's a lot of lakes. And so I like the fact that we can get that like all year long and we don't have to be cold. So you can really kind of explore the river and the water um, and the beautiful natural scenery, you know, soft and people um, don't tend to think about, you know, the South like that. But particularly here in Arkansas, we've got rolling hills. Um, we've got beautiful places to hike. You know, if you're an outdoorsman, you know, you can go, you know, hiking and, you know, you can experience the water and you can do that like all year long. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I can appreciate about the South is if you are an, an outdoorsman or an outdoors person, you truly enjoy that. Um, then it's here and you can do it all year long. You don't have to worry about it being too cold. Yeah. And Arkansas is a natural state. It yeah, is. Love that. Um, if you could change one thing about the South, what would it be? I would probably change how we're often ranked last when it comes to, oh my gosh, our health. Yeah. Um, You know, when you look at a lot of the um, numbers on how we take care of ourselves, how we're often ranked last. Um, And um, I just, I wish that could change. Um, I wish that 
more again it, for me it goes back to resources that more resources mm-hmm. were poured into our the southern states um, and that um, that we just did a better job and that we weren't ranked last I think I probably would change change that speaking of health just real quick tangent you you do you have a business where you focus on health and fitness I do yeah I do I do I do that came uh, as a result of really kind of a little bit of family tragedy and then just a little bit of a desire to turn, you know, a passion into something else. And it just kind of like organically grew, didn't really expect it. You know, I always tell people I never ran in my life probably until I got in my twenties. <laughs> but yeah, I do have a, a, a business that's dedicated to health and wellness. Um, and it's just been amazing to, to see it grow and, you know, be able to work with people of all ages from really little kids to, to older folks just to kind of to get us moving you yeah. know I really kind of want to reverse some of those generational ties um, some of those negative things that we have kind of plaguing our culture mm-hmm. um, and I know that you know we have to start with us um, and then kind of let that trickle down to our kids and so you know while I love the South <laughs> you know one of the things that we got to get a bad rap on you know, is how we love a lot of those, you know, amazing, you know, southern fried things. And so um, I want us to be able to enjoy our food, but also get out and enjoy the weather and be and right. enjoy working it off a little bit, too. Yeah. So, yeah. So my um, yeah, my um, my my business, my virtual um, key fit life is an opportunity for us to my family. And, I, and it's a family business. My husband and my daughter, we all work in it. And it's just fun. Like, we enjoy working with people no matter where they are. Just kind of getting people moving and understanding the importance of um, generational healing through our health. Mm. And I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead to this question, speaking of health. What's your favorite soul food dish? And and at the risk of losing your black card, what's one soul food dish you could live without? My favorite soul food dish is hard now because I don't eat meat anymore. Someone, Someone made a plate. Um, on a on a recent episode, like they had their, they say I can't pick one dish, so can I just make a plate? So what would you put on that soul food plate? So I probably would put um, so just so I would put oyster mushrooms, which when you fry them, it tastes like it tastes like um, oysters. It tastes like oyster. You put some hot sauce on it, it tastes like oysters. Huh. Cabbage or greens, and probably like candy yams and cornbread. Okay, that's a, uh-huh. like that would be my. Thing. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. And like, I didn't really miss the meat. Am I, am I imagining that plate? Because that, like, an yeah. oyster mushroom is so like juicy and uh-huh. tender. You don't, yeah, you don't miss the meat. Okay. So you do you have a soul food dish that you can live without? Girl, chitlins. Oh is yeah. That, is that soul food? I don't I, eat it, but that, like that's that's the number one answer, and we get that a lot. Um, so I think that's the main one. Chitlins. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so fill in the blank. I would love to sip sweet tea on the front porch with who? I would love to sip Whom? sweet tea on the porch with my mom. Oh. Yeah. Is she still with us? She is not. She died of COVID earlier this year. Oh. So I would give anything. And let me tell you, like my mom, the one thing I always tell people my mom was, even when my mom was living, I knew my mom was going to give me something good. And she'd be like, I got news for you, honey. Like, Aww. that was her, ooh, let me lean in, honey, because she's about to say something good. So I could see myself 
sipping tea on the porch with my mom and she'd be like i got news for you baby Aww. so she would have something good to say so yeah i love to sip tea on the porch with my mom oh so what's your favorite black and or southern saying you kind of threw a few out there just now uh yeah that's a good one um so i would so because i'm a louisiana girl it'd be like what's up Shay? Okay. <laughs> so, share is like a short version of like Machete. And so, share is like she, her, girl. Okay. So, like, what's up, you? What's up, person? So, like, what's up, share is probably that. You said phrase. Did you say phrase? Or word? Oh, yeah. Saying whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, probably like, what's up, share? Like, eh, share? That's probably my. <laughs> Although here, like, nobody knows what I'm talking about. Hey, you can bring it, you can bring it here yourself. I'll answer. Uh, yeah. So what's something awesome that's happened in your life recently? Um, I have a birthday. Melody thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, pro- oh, gosh, probably, like, the new position as a museum director. Um, you know, working here for 14 years. It is not, people don't probably believe me, but, like, I was... I was fine where I was. Like, I was very happy, you know, doing the work that I was doing as the museum's deputy director. But, like, it has just been so awesome to write the vision for the next chapter of the museum. And, like, everybody has been so welcoming. And even though I've been here, you know, for the amount of time, it's still new. Like, it's so fresh. Like, I promise you, like, every day I wake up and it's so fresh. And, uh, you know, I have new opportunities and new ideas. And the staff has just been so amazing. Um, and working with me and sometimes all of my crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. But the community has also been warm and accepting. So probably the, the best thing that's happened to me in, in, in the last few months is me getting to become director of this awesome museum. We want to thank Keith Fletcher for being part of our show. Again, you can check out the show notes and plan a trip to Little Rock to see the Mosaic Templars Cultural Center. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so others can find us. You can also listen to the Black Belt Voices podcast on most streaming platforms, including Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and NPR One. This episode was edited by Katrina Dupins and Prentice Dupins Jr. with music composed by Prentice Dupins Jr. Black Belt Voices is a production of Black Belt Media, LLC. Thanks again to Southern Bank Corp for underwriting our third season. Be sure to follow Black Belt Voices on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Belt Voices and visit blackbeltvoices.com.